0: Hey, nerds, we understand you. Drop those controllers, lose the wizard hat, and ready your Cheetos. It's time for some hard-hitting talk about the movies, books, and games you love. So get ready, oh searcher of useless knowledge. It's time to step into the Geek Cave.
1: Broadcasting from a top-secret and totally awesome hidden base, I'm Ken Harris, and here's Darren Wright, Justin White, and Chad Savage. And welcome. Happy New Year
2: at Steep Cave Podcast Movies. I'm Darren. I'm Justin. And I'm Chad, reminding you that since 80% of our electricity is created by heating water to make turbines spin, it means that in reality we are living in a crappy steampunk world.
1: Mm. Mm. Good to know.
2: Welcome to the movie segment. We are brought to you by Shirtasaurus, digging up clothing from the past so you can look rad today with great t-shirt, sweater, and hoodie designs on everything geek chic. Whether you're a fan of old school gaming, anime, 80s cartoons, or you're just weird, find something for you at Shirtasaurus.com. Also brought to you by Gamefly, with membership options for every budget, plus gifts for gamers of all ages. Gamefly has thousands of titles you can keep as long as you want. When you're done... Just send it back with the postage paid envelope for a new one or keep it forever. Pay a lot less than in-store prices. Sign up for a free 30-day trial right now using the link at geekkpodcast.com. Justin. Chad. It is the beginning of a year. One yes. might say when we try out what 2024 is going to be about, almost like a pilot. Have you watched any of those? Ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome
0: Tenacious D! Pilot Party!
1: Pilot Party! Pilot Party! Man. Starting the year off right. Glad we got them.
0: Uh, Welcome to Pilot Party, where I review an entire TV series based only on the first episode. And why only the first episode? Because I spent the entire month of December trying to stop Christmas from coming to Whoville. Fun fact, it showed up anyway. Also, I'm being charged with 300 counts of breaking and entering, grand larceny, destruction of property, and one count of impersonating Santa.
1: Didn't know that was a thing.
2: Also, he found out he now has an enlarged heart. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I knew that anyway. By the way, um,
0: I'm going to need some FMLA paperwork. Okay, yeah.
1: We can get get legal on that.
0: Uh, So, last month, I did Dragon Ball Z Kai. And I thought, you know, what other animes am I really missing out on? So I got a subscription to Crunchyroll. So this is the year of Pilot Party Crunchyroll edition. All right. All anime, all year long. Just whatever randomness pops up, that's what we're going with.
1: Okay. (laughs) I'm scared.
0: This month's entry. Magical Circle Guru Guru. So, after being sealed away for 300 years, the demon lord Giri reawakens and sends his monster minions to wreak havoc on the world. King Yorura XIII decides to place announcements everywhere in the kingdom in search of a legendary hero that can defeat Giri. Enter Nike. He's a simple lad who wants to live a life of being lazy. However, his parents have different ideas. See, his father always wanted to be a hero, but the Demon King wasn't around then. So isn't Nikkei lucky that he has a chance to prove himself? That little bastard. <laughs> his parents send Nike off to the old witch on the other side of town via comically large slingshot. Crashing through the witch's house, Nikkei re- uh, meets Kikuri, a young girl who holds the power of Guru Guru, the ancient magic that sealed away the Demon King long ago. She was left with the with with the witch to develop her powers but still isn't very good at it as evident by accidentally conjuring a 50-foot tall flower creature directly underneath Nike the witch sends them on their way to the king the king's castle in the king's castle is a competition being held to discover who the true hero is thanks to the opening credits we all know it's Nike he proves himself by pulling a sword out of a box yes that's a thing okay and the two are sent out into the world to fulfill their destiny. Not half a mile from the castle, Kikuri gets lost, and Nike encounters an old man being attacked by a monster. The monster begins monologuing, allowing Kikuri to find them and cast a massive fireball. Nike lands the killing blow, and they are both excited and ecstatic that they survived. Kikuri apologizes for not helping sooner, but she was having some trouble. And we see several markings on the ground where she had tried to conjure the fireball. And all of these turn into 50-foot tall creatures that she has summoned, just like in the beginning. Credits. Okay. The show is really lighthearted and silly. The art style is really cute and occasionally switches from classic anime style, like kid anime style, to old-school, top-down, pixelated Zelda... Oh, nice. ...style. Like, that's actually, like, how the first 30 seconds of the show are shot. Hmm. It's just really cool. Really cute. Now for my predictions. Nike and Kikuri make their way across the land, righting wrongs and making friends along the way. Eventually, they make it to the Demon King's stronghold. Fighting their way, they come face-to-face with the Demon King, who happens to be a kitten. Not a demon kitten. A regular kitty cat. Mm. Apparently the people of this world are idiots and don't know what a cat is. And so for 300 years, the monsters of this land have raised and cared for generations of cats, eventually revering them as their god. Kikuri instantly falls in love with the cat and decides that they shall conquer this land with the power of cuteness. (laughs) I give it nine kings that look like the comedian Gallagher out of ten. (laughs) (laughs) That is... (laughs) Yeah.
2: That's a heck of a rating It's a fun show Thank you Justin <laughs> You're welcome yeah. So Speaking of shows And lots of things There's a lot of shows out there That live in the memories of TV land Some of them are given new lives Some relegated to the dustbins of history The segment of the show Asked you about one such Forgotten piece of television history And asked Should we review it? It was good then The original's just as good now Reboot it The idea is sound But we can modernize it to Capture some magic Revive it what are these characters doing after a couple decades of growth and development, or refuse it?
1: I'm lucky we don't have transcription, because that'd be hard to write out.
2: <sighs> I remember being young once. You know, oh, good. Way back in the early 90s, when Ninja Turtles ruled my fandom. Yeah. A full year before X-Men animated series would hit the air. So many cartoons were given miniseries movies gonna remember that when you get like five episodes yeah. that told a maxi story. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes that would be enough. Sometimes they'd get a whole series after that. Sometimes they wouldn't. And sometimes they'd get a shot only to be too expensive and be canceled before the story got a sufficient end or in the case of this one, even an end at all. The five episode miniseries for this one was the most expensive animated project that Hanna-Barbera had at the time, costing a half a million dollars per 30-minute episode. 1991.
1: That's, wow. Two
2: and a half million dollars. Now, it's hard not to see where that went. The animation on those episodes is glorious. 12,000 cells per episode, which was about twice as many as your standard Saturday morning fare. But such was the quality of the Pirates of Darkwater. <laughs> <laughs> voice acting on this was top notch. George Newburn, who would go on to play Superman, voice Superman, was Wren, the prince of the once grand kingdom of Octopon. Frank Welker played a monkey bird named Nidler. Jody Benson who had just played Ariel in Disney's The Little Mermaid, Mm -hmm. was Tula, some kind of ecomancer. And then, of course, because it's the early 90s, there was also Jim Cummings, Peter Cullen, Tim Curry. Uh, I believe Roddy McDowell was tied to it at one point as well. Wow. I think Jim Cummings actually took over for Roddy McDowell. (laughs) Now, the basic plot is that Ren discovers that he is the son of the now-dead King of Octopon, and he decides that he's going to track down the 13 Treasures of Rule in order to save the world from the threat of Darkwater, this black liquid that's taken over the seas. So he steals a ship, the Wraith, in the first episode, and they are chased throughout the rest of the 20 episodes, 21 total episodes, by a pirate named Bloth in his warship, the Maelstrom. The series was canceled without fanfare, with with Ren and his crew having saved half the world of Mare in, like, the end of the first season, but by the end of the second had only collected eight of the 13 treasures. Just too expensive and not quite big enough, and X-Men came out. And pretty much... Dominated Fox, yeah, you know, yeah. animation at that point. There is little more to say about Pirates of Dark Water that wouldn't just be meaningless trivia in this case. So, what do you say? Review, reboot, revive, or refuse? I
1: let me tell you what my gut reaction was and then what my actual vote is. My gut reaction was reboot, mm-hmm. but. I've seen some of the animation we're putting out now, <laughs> and uh, and I know it's a stylistic thing, but like the animation that is being put out now is just not going to do a show like this justice. Mm. I know that it's cheaper, it's faster, and a lot of it's really stylized. But like I am, I worry that we would get a Thundercats ho scenario mm. if we tried to reboot Pirates of Dark Water. So, yeah. But if we did a revival where we try to stay pretty close to the visual style and we just finish the story, you could even do it where, like, not Cartoon Network because they have a horrible track record, but do it, like, on Prime or do it on, like, Disney Plus or something where they can dedicate, where they can have the original series or Paramount Plus or whatever and then run it right into the new episodes and just finish the story. Mm Mm-hmm. That I'd be on board with. So I would say revival. Maybe it takes several years for them to find the rest of the treasures. And so we do a time jump and we find out where Tula and where Ren and where Nidler are now. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe, you know, they had some, some bad luck and it's taken a while. Maybe the villain has won. Whatever. I would say, yeah, you revive it and you get it onto a streaming service uh, where you could have the rest of those. Because I know that like ABC ran this at once upon a time as well as Fox Kids. Mm-hmm. So with ABC Connections you could easily put this on Disney Plus. Uh I think it was a hanna Barbera cartoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like uh you could put it on I'm again not Cartoon Network, but maybe Max. Right. Uh where you could dedicate the space to it. So yeah, I would say revive.
2: Okay.
0: Uh reboot, but not with an American studio. Okay. Uh, somewhere overseas that has the ability to Put the time and care into it mm-hmm. to make it what it once was.
2: Oh, yeah, I can see that. I was just gonna say review it and just because it's it's so of its time that I kind of like the unfinished nature of it. It's just okay, and we sail off to further adventure. Just open ended. Yep. Kind like of like Brave f-
1: Star, or yeah.
2: One of the few that's like that, though. I'm, mostly I like closure, but yeah, it's kind of nice to just okay. We know that there's going to be a whole heck of a lot you know, that they undergo. Let's turn it into a and d campaign.
0: Yeah. Ooh. No, but I remember watching this growing up and thinking it was pretty cool. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I liked it. So, so I watched a bunch of trailers. Um, yeah, here we go. Take <laughs> a bunch of trailers. Godzilla X-Kong. Mm, I'm not not interested, but I'm not really interested either it seems that there's it's kind of like the i did mm, i did not think that i would get kaiju movie fatigue so soon considering how long it took to get marvel movie fatigue yeah and yet here i am where it's just like man these seem to come out a lot like i barely see one and then there's another one and the quality on them seems to be really good but they also seem really, really samey to me anymore. Fair. Which is unfortunate. I haven't seen Godzilla minus one. That might break the mold. But the Godzilla Kong <clears> ones. <throat> the Godzilla Kong ones I'm not happy with. Uh Dune Part 2. Yeah, I still don't care. <laughs> uh Kung Fu Panda <laughs> four. All right. Trained to become the Dragon Warrior. Trained to redirect cannonballs. Trained to fight a spirit warrior. Now trained to fight. Uh, the first dude again, only more so. Okay. Yeah, it's Jack Black being a panda that does kung fu. I'm sure it will be fun once. Uh, Furiosa, a Mad Max saga. Eh, She's badass in Fury Road. Now watch her be probably as badass in this movie, but with a more tragic backstory. If not the song by Bread. (laughs) Uh, Ryan Reynolds is charismatic. Check. Otherwise, it looks, we'll say, mostly harmless. If, in this case, stands for imaginary friends. So imagine if imaginary friends had their own governmental, I guess, agency. Maybe. Hmm. Ah, it's hard to tell. Civil War. All right.
1: We did this one. Captain America was Oh, in
2: no. It. This, this one is about a new one. Oh. Yeah, not comics. Um, yeah, we did this one. It was called Gettysburg. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm watching this trailer. And I'm like, am I supposed to root for the secessionists? I mean, okay. I mean, I'm, I'll see it just for Nick Offerman as president and to figure out how California and Texas ended up on the same side.
1: Oh, that's, that's bizarro land. Wow. Huh?
2: So, uh, Scrambled. A woman wants to freeze her eggs because she's 33 and doesn't have a man. That biological clock ticks in such a way as to somehow create drama. Fuck, this thing was so vapid. I started writing this response before it even told me that it's based on a true story, which somehow just makes it worse.
1: Can we do a sequel called Omelette? I mean, scrambled.
2: The night they came home.
1: Guess that's a no. Yeah.
2: I will always watch Danny Trejo. Hmm. and especially in a Western. I'm going to wait till it's streaming, (laughs) but I'm going to watch it. All right. right. Uh, Miller's Girl. Jenny Ortega, or Jenna Ortega is the student. Martin Freeman is the teacher. I have no idea what this thing is about, but it promises to be well acted. True. The Book of Clarence. A con man in Jesus' time riffs on Jesus' message in order to make money. Sure, it will be fine. <laughs> Prediction He is one of the thieves on the cross next to Jesus at the end. I can see that. Always look on the bride. I knew my... it. I knew as soon as you. <laughs> so that is what I have for trailers. <laughs> Justin, I need some hope that the Godzilla movies and kaiju movies are not in effect, in, not. That they are not in actuality just becoming a steaming pile of sameness.
0: No, they're they're okay. Okay. So well, moving on then. No <laughs> no <laughs> no 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 no. You you open
1: this door. I'm walking through. He looked it. so excited to talk about Godzilla and then you just like nah.
0: <laughs> so I want to make it clear that the the American movies, the twenty fourteen Godzilla, Godzilla King of the Monsters uh, Godzilla vs. Kong Godzilla X Kong The New Empire all that stuff those are the American Monsterverse movies made here mm-hmm. something like Godzilla Minus One mm-hmm. Well, Godzilla Minus One not something like it it's made overseas in Japan by Toho Studios the originator of Godzilla I had a chance to see it um, a week or so ago in theaters y'all It is by far the best Hmm. Godzilla movie I've ever seen. The best monster movie I've ever seen. Hmm. It takes you back to basics. It is 1947. Okay. Japan is reeling from the end of the Second World War.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And everybody is just trying to survive. Then, (laughs) Mm -hmm. giant monster attacks. And there's a little bit more setup to it. But the human storyline in this movie is very compelling, very well acted. The CGI used in the monster was fan-fucking-tastic. Mm-hmm. There was only one scene where I'm like, ah, yeah. But the rest of it, it was like, holy crap, there's a Godzilla right there. Mm -hmm. It reignited my already deep love for the character and those kinds of movies. I don't know if it's going to get a sequel. It doesn't even necessarily need a sequel.
2: Mm.
0: But if they did... It's set up in such a way that I think they could pull it off nicely if they had the same director and writer and stuff like that. But no, this Godzilla Minus One puts all other Godzilla movies kind of to shame. Wow. This is a return to form, yet also giving it new life and energy. Okay. I walked out of there having felt all of the emotions. Mm Mm-hmm. All of the emotions. Man. It was that good. And there's a reason that it kept getting extended in theaters. It was only supposed to be a limited release. And it kept getting extended and extended because it was making all the money.
2: Hmm.
0: Because it's that good. Now, I will say because of my love for giant monsters, I am excited to see Godzilla X-Kong The New Empire. But mostly because I like giant monsters fighting
2: it's fun okay all right i'll have to see it sounds fun so i watched a few things um vicar of dibley finally made it to tubi uh so what do you get when the newest vicar of a tightly knit conservative village is a woman you get the vicar of dibley and a whole bunch of fun it only airs a couple of, like, it aired originally just a couple of years after the Anglican Church began allowing female priests. And so it just follows this curiously quaint congregation and their clergywoman drew the highs and lows of what it is to have a faith tr- family and tradition in the middle of everybody's life. And it's funny and it's really realistic. <laughs> and that's not necessarily bad. So, uh, watched Love and Monsters. Okay, this had the potential to be really good. Set up. A space rock is going to hit the Earth. And the nations of the Earth do what they do best. They shoot it until it goes away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It breaks up and, le- and bits of it land. The mission's a success. But the side effects are that some of the chemicals have whether they were in the rocket or they're in the space rock or whatnot, chemicals have caused bugs and other cold-blooded creatures to mutate and get really, really big. We're talking like snails the size of double-decker buses. Okay. Most of humanity is eaten or otherwise destroyed, and the rest survive in little small colonies scrounging for whatever, you know, whatever supplies they can get. Enter Joel, our hero, a survivor mostly because of the kindness of others. He's lovable, but he's not very adept at anything. Like his primary responsibility in the colony is milking the cow. It's an important job. You got to do it. Yeah. Anyway, he is lovesick for his pre-Monsterpocalypse girlfriend that he sometimes speaks to over the ham radio. And one day, he just decides to travel to her colony to get her. And what follows is a pretty good movie about survival for somebody who doesn't know how to survive. He spends a week topside, you know, trying to get to her. And there is an excellent opportunity at that moment to talk about gender expectations. He's a man who's braving this and that, and woman, be, except she doesn't need to be rescued, and her feelings have changed. He never asked her You know, do you want me to come get you? Do you still want to be together? He just assumes Uh all that. And so there's a really great opportunity that gets wasted for Snidely Whiplash, you know, to show up and a big boss fight with a giant crab. So B minus. You know, there's a lot of good stuff in there. And who is the guy who played Yondu? Um, Michael Rooker. Michael Rooker. Michael Rooker's in this as a survivalist that's got like this little eight or ten-year-old girl that like hangs around with him. Those two make the movie in the middle bits. It's just very funny. All right. Uh, And because apparently I was on an apocalypse kick, I also watched Leave the World Behind. So a family, they're in the city, from the city, and they're like, we need a break. So they get, you know... The movie version of an Airbnb because I've never seen an Airbnb this nice. And things seem pretty okay. And then the Wi Fi goes out. Well, you know, you can't fix everything. There's still the pool, you know, there's lots of nature. You're out in the country. Cool. And then the owner of the house and his daughter show up. There's a big power outage in the city. We're coming back home. Here's half of the rent. You're welcome to stay because getting back in the city is going to suck, you know, and we're not even going to take our bedrooms back and everything. We're we're just going to sleep in the finished basement, you know, and so it's weird. And Julia Roberts plays the mom in this as a misanthrope, and she's just mean, like she acts the way you expect an entitled actress to act Mm. like just mean and cutting and anyway then the phone stopped working and the family try to leave and they hit traffic jams because it turns out that the driverless Teslas have all been activated and are clogging up the roads oh good the movie honestly is a setup for a more interesting movie about a whole scale attack on United States because that's how it ends, is outlining the phases that that are supposed to be happening. It's like, well, what you do is you cut communications, cut the roads, and then you paper the areas with pamphlets indicating who's taking the credit for this. So on the East Coast, it's all Arabic language things. And on the West Coast, it's all Korean language you <laughs> know, kind of propaganda. Okay. <clears throat> this idea. And with no... With no specific enemy, Americans will turn on each other. And the more violent side of the United States will just kill everyone. Well, it's a dim view of the United States to be sure, but probably not unrealistic. I was going to give it a B, but I'm knocking off a third of the letter grade because the ending just made me angry. So it's it's getting a B minus. The, the ending is that one of the daughters, she basically runs away finds a house, finds a survival bunker, and decides to not tell her family, basically looks for the last episode of Friends, and the movie ends with the Friends theme song and cut to black, and I'm just like, screw that kid. Yeah. She got years of food, years of entertainment, years of power, and she's shut the door.
1: Yeah, she's looking out for herself.
2: On anyone else being able to get in there. To heck with her. So after that I watched Violent Night. It's on my list. David Harbour as a former Viking, now Santa Claus, finding himself needing to save a true believer from a hostage situation, which with uh is it John Leguizamo as the bad guy. It's great. <laughs> it's funny. It's as violent as Die Hard and twice as Christmassy. It's made my yearly Christmas movie list. All Solid right. A. Nice. And Otherwise, all I've got is a random movie for you. Darren, did you see something? Uh,
1: I watched Across the Spider-Verse, finally.
2: Across the Spider-Verse.
1: Finally got into that. Yeah. Um, That was, you know, in a year of, like, superhero fatigue, um, there were some really good superhero movies that came out this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unfortunately for DC fans, they were all Marvel. uh, Because there was uh, Guardians 3 came Mm -hmm. out, and uh, the Marvels, who I'll fight anyone on, uh, was a good movie. And then Across the Spider-Verse, which is a sequel to Into the Spider-Verse, it's animated... Uh, follows uh, Gwen Stacy and Miles Morales. Gwen, Spider Gwen from Earth-65. Miles from Earth-1610. Keep those numbers uh, in the back of your mind because they will be important Uh, because it turns out that the spider that bit Miles, spoiler alert, is not from his dimension and he never should have become Spider-Man in the first place. Uh, That spider came from Earth-42 there's a lot of dimension-hopping. Miguel O'Hara, Spider-Man 2099, is uh, an appropriately menacing type of villain uh, who uh, really it kind of does a little bit of a disservice to his character from the comics because he's basically a one-note vampire villain. Uh, but it's like, if you take a minute to kind of like reassess the story, you can see his motivation. You can see where he's coming from. Uh, and I hope that he gets a bit of a redemption arc in the third film. Uh, this, this film ends with, a cliffhanger, which are always great, except we know that Sony will make, uh, eventually Beyond the Spider Verse because these two have made a lot of money. Yep. And I don't know if I would put it, because some people say it's the best Spider Man film. I, no, Spider Man 2 still exists. Uh, but I will say that this is in my top three. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. I love Miles. Um, I, you know, <laughs> uh, I, if I had one complaint, it's that the animation style is not for me. Mm -hmm. I get that it's a stylistic choice. I get that it's a creative choice. Um, But there are times where it just distracted me from the film. There's one scene in particular where Gwen is telling her dad, I'm Spider-Woman. Her dad is a police captain whose whole point has been hunting down Spider-Woman because she wanted for a murder she didn't commit. And... On one hand, I get the artistic choice for like uh, the the wall colors changing, and it's m- meant to evoke what it kind of looks like in a comic book. Um, and sometimes the background is there, and sometimes the background is not. But it distracted the fuck out of me, for lack of a better term. I still really enjoyed the movie. That would be my only complaint. Would just be, uh, you know, if if you if you go in there expecting a cohesive, consistent artistic style, you're not going to get it. Much like the first Spider Verse film. So that's all I've got. Um, all right. Oh, uh, one more thing. Oh, yeah. What?
2: And now it is time for Darren's Trivial Trivia.
1: Okay, so we've all seen Gone with the Wind, right?
2: Hmm. Long time ago.
1: Right. Um, you know that scene where Georgia is burning? Mm hmm. You know, Atlanta's on fire. Right. Uh, that's actually just a bunch of old sets. Uh, you see when the filmmakers started working on the film there was a bunch of old sets from several other films that they didn't have room for and they needed to get rid of so they
2: just set them on fire (laughs) that's awesome that's awesome and with nothing else before Kent oh the lights are down low Mm, the popcorn is hot
1: the drinks are cold. Ah, settle in
0: for the cinematic universe of Chad's random movie
2: review. So, I watched The Extraordinary Adventures of Adele Sanséch and next month by the roll of the dice, I get to watch Santa Claus versus the Devil. <laughs> No joke. I think I've seen that. All right. Well, The Extraordinary Adventures is a French film opening with Egyptian credits. And we learn about Monsieur Ferdinand Chopard, a man that has had too much to drink and is walking himself home from a night of cards. He is not terribly important to the story, but it's where it starts. Then we suddenly shift to a dancing show, to the Moulin Rouge, where we learn about Monsieur Pontrenard, a former prefect. Then back to Ferdinand, who's about to relieve himself on a statue when he sees a bunch of shimmery lights. An optical illusion coming from the home of Professor Esperandu, a man that looks suspiciously like the Six Flags dancing guy. (laughs) The professor is experimenting with telepathy and somehow connects himself with a 136-million-year-old pterosaur egg, hatching it and then flying around. The flying-around dinosaur causes an accident killing the prefect, Pontrenard, and is only witnessed by the drunk Chupard.
1: No one's going to believe him.
2: This is the first nine and a half minutes of the movie.
1: Good start. Good start.
2: Now, clearly, a dinosaur flying around in 1912 Paris must be tended to. And so the president of France orders it taken care of, and the responsibility gets passed down the line until we reach the decorated but slightly bumbling Albert Caponi. All right. Meanwhile, our hero, (laughs) Adele (laughs) Adele Sec is in Egypt. She is looking for the mummified personal physician of Ramesses II. Uh, she is a travel writer and adventure writer and so forth, so successfully doing so, she brings the mummy back to France with her, where she's hoping that Esperondu, the dinosaur Six Flags Dancing Man can revive the mummy like he revived the dinosaur unfortunately he's been arrested and put on death row because he's being blamed for various attacks etc. by the dinosaur that will simply not do Because Adele needs the physician to tend to her comatose sister, who had an unfortunate tennis accident involving a hat pin. So Adele rescues the professor by riding the dinosaur to get him out of prison before he can be executed. It's all very exciting. Now, in order to deal with the dinosaur, a big game hunter has been secured. Sure, And he eventually tracks down and shoots the dinosaur. In a very sad moment. Hmm. Only for everyone, including the viewer, to discover that the professor's life force is tied to the dinosaurs. Shoot the dinosaur, you shot the professor. Now, before he dies, he's able to revive the mummy. Good news. Except, Adele then learns that this is not the physician, this is the physicist.
1: (laughs) Okay. This is not... (laughs) The pharaoh's
2: physician, it's the pharaoh's physicist. Bad news, everyone. Translations are hard. I deal with figures, signs, and equations. However, the professor's last-ditch telepathy bring things a life thing was really, really powerful. To wit, the mummy says, I bet if there's any other mummies around, they've probably been brought back to life. Luckily, we're close to the Louvre. (laughs) where it turns out that Ramesses II and his entire entourage is
0: because
2: because the movie can't go on without it. So they go. Adele insults the pharaoh accidentally. Then she insults him on purpose. And then she makes up with him. and And the pharaoh has the physician revive the sister. And then they all wander into the night, a whole bunch of mummies looking at the blank entrance to the Louvre going, we should put a pyramid there. (laughs) Encountering our favorite drunken Ferdinand Shepard as they leave, (laughs) (laughs) needing a break. From all of this and having her sister back, Adele books a cabin on the new White Star Line ship, leaving on April 10th,
0: 1912.
2: (laughs) Credits. (laughs) I like foreign films. (laughs) I have yet to see a French movie that I haven't had some kind of joy in watching. And I don't even, I like reading the subtitles. I prefer subtitles to the dubs. This film is funny from the general breeziness of the dialogue in dangerous situations to the overt bureaucratic nature of assigning someone to deal with the dinosaur attack in Paris, right? Because we watch the entire phone call line from the president until it reaches Capone all the way down. Every scene oozes humor in some way, shape or form. Even the backstory of how Adele's sister ends up comatose is funny. Even as it made both my spouse and me go, (laughs) (laughs) setting the movie in 1912 pre-World War one somehow just makes it better. So I want there to be at least two more of these movies. And if you can stand reading a film or you understand French, highly recommend this movie. Be like me okay with no other business thanks to our sponsors sure and GameFly. check out any news and reviews that are not on our podcast on the website geekcavepodcast.com join the discord for fun conversation tell your friends all about where to find us including Podbean, apple podcasts amazon good pod and so forth don't forget to check out our other offerings including you want me to watch what and week three then head over to our youtube channel to see geek cave plays and retromantics For Kent Harris, our Winifred Sanderson, with the killer voice. For Darren Wright, our Mary Sanderson, the long-suffering. For Justin White, our Sarah Sanderson, the looker. I'm Chad Savage, our Billy Butcherson, and I really want to go back to sleep. Thanks for listening, and remember, everyone is a geek for something.